On this episode of AvTalk, we're joined by United Airlines CEO Scott Kirby to discuss the airline's push into sustainable aviation fuel and where he sees the industry going. And we finally get more details on the problems that have kept 13 Qatar Airways A350s grounded for months. Hello and welcome to episode 140 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik, back as always with... Jason Rubinowitzson, hello, I'm back. I had a week hello, off. Jason. Why, why didn't you have a week off? Because the show must go on, good sir. Ah, uh, okay, okay. It was a good week. I'm glad you enjoyed the week. What did you do with your time off? Uh, I wasn't working, so it was great. Excellent. Yeah. Anything exciting? Nope. Excellent. That is a good report from a week off. That's the best four-day weekend report you can get. <laughs> I did nothing. Nothing. It was everything I thought it could be. We had the shortened week, I guess, last week. Although with when everyone's off school and there's cooking to be, it, it just seems like it's longer. I don't know if that's a feeling that you ever get, but I felt like last week was perhaps one of the longest weeks. We also had a stomach bug rip through the house and everyone but me got sick. So it was great. Could have been worse. That's the cheery bright side Jason I'm, I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. When everyone else is sick and you're not, it could be worse. It could be worse. We did that last week. This week, we've got a sustainably sourced program for you. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. And then next week, we are headed to Stockholm for the Flight Radar 24 global get-together. Yeah, I hope so. That should be a good time. Yeah, we'll get to that shortly. Jason, you're jumping the show notes. That's what's planned. And so that leads us to, we hope so, because of these new, no, I shouldn't say these, the new. Please, it's just one, right? Yeah, it's, it's just one. It's just one. The new COVID variant, Omicron. I was thinking about this the other day. I mean, if we're already on Omicron, how many of these variants did we just like name and then get rid of? Well, I guess there must have been a few. There's a ton. Known. They also skipped over a few because of some confusion and naming that was too close to other things. But it, it does seem like a whole bunch of others just never happened. It's like we got to the end of the alphabet in hurricane season. And you're like, wait, I, I didn't remember. I don't remember half of these storms. Yeah. The last one I remember is Delta. And suddenly right. we're at O. And I heard they, they skipped X because it's a part of a popular last name in China. But what happened to the rest of the, rest of the alphabet? I don't know. I'm not familiar with the order of the Greek alphabet enough to say one way or another where the rest of them went. However- And I never wanted to be. I, yeah, exactly. I, I don't want to become familiar with the Greek alphabet as much as this requires. Well, but maybe it'll be like taxiways when they have to double up, like make a left onto taxiway alpha alpha. Like are we going to have the Delta Tango variant? Oh, I certainly hope not. I mean, at some point, yeah, because this thing will just, you know- It's it, going to keep going. It's just going to keep going. I mean, we're in this and it's an endemic disease now. And at some point, you know, I guess we just stop naming the variants and calling them something. I don't, you know, they get rid of the Greek letters and go on to something else. I don't know. But Thursday, so tomorrow, and we're recording the 1st of December, and yesterday, if you're listening to the podcast, we'll find out what the new restrictions for 
traveling to the US are going to be. It sounds like it's increased testing frequency or shortening the time span between testing and flying. Sounds like what that's what's going to happen. And then in a few weeks, we'll see where we go from there. So yeah, it, it looks like we're going and I'm certainly still excited to go. Hopefully we can get back into the country. If we can't, next week's podcast and following week's podcast will be coming to you from Sweden as well. Fantastic. So there you go. But yeah, globally speaking, there's been a massive retreat, a reversal where the last few months has been about reopening countries, reopening to foreign visitors for leisure travel, kind of on a global scale, except for Asia, which really still hasn't opened in this, has further closed that door. But a lot of countries are now unfortunately swinging the other way. The US has banned non-resident travelers from a whole host of countries in Africa, which is morally and ethically, scientifically, probably just the wrong move outright since it's already here. It was later discovered that it was in Europe first before Africa. So hopefully, as they say, that's temporary and will be removed in a shorter span than the last ban, which was what, 18, 19 months. Hopefully, this is a blip in time and we can resume reopening to travel across borders. But right now, it kind of feels like a, de- a degree of March 2020 all over again, where everyone's kind of panicking without all of the necessary information and everything is kind of shutting down to a lesser degree, thankfully. I think the panic is based on the fact that we don't have enough information. In a couple of weeks, we'll know a lot more about this particular variant and we'll either be talking about, you know, vaccine producers are retooling or it will be, well, okay, the, the vaccine is still thoroughly effective against a vaccine. Multiple vaccines are still thoroughly effective against this particular variant. So keep doing what you were doing, you know, do things that keep you safe and you'll be you'll be fine and get vaccinated, that kind of thing. But we don't know. And so in the absence of knowledge, people tend to gravitate towards worst case scenarios. And and so I think that's a lot of what's happening here. And you know, and not to belabor the point, but since we don't know anything, we wait instead of you know saying, "Well, okay, we, we now we need to you know shut everything down." And everything. We we just don't we don't know enough to say that. So hopefully, like you said, these are short lived restrictions, and when we have a bit more information, we can make better informed decisions. We'll see. Nothing we can do now but wait and let the smart people do their jobs, and hopefully, the less smart people in charge of making decisions on opening and closing countries listen to the smart people. Yes. We finally, 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 finally have more information about the issues that are affecting the Qatar Airways A350s. And as it turns out, multiple other A350s, A350s from multiple other airlines. And this Reuters report that came out this week with Tim Heffer and uh, Alexander Cornwell writing, they got really into it because they found or someone gave them access to the A350's owner's message board, which is a pretty exclusive club that, that Jason and I do not have access to. I don't have access to that, but I would very much like to see what else is posted there. Yeah, or maybe not, as as the case may be. But yeah, we also are seeing pictures. It's the first time I'm seeing pictures of the described cracking of the paint. So 
13 Qatar Airways A350s are grounded by the Qatari civil aviation regulator because of paint peeling and cracking on the surface of the fuselage. So Airbus and the other airlines affected by this issue have said it's not a safety issue, it's just a cosmetic issue. And from the pictures, it's a pretty ugly one. And the issue mostly affects aircraft that have had tremendous heat swings, which would explain why the Qatar Airways aircraft have been most affected, considering that when they're parked on the ground, it's 30, 40 degrees. And when they're you know up in the air, it's negative 60, negative 70. So huge temperature swings there as far as the fuselage is concerned. Carbon fiber fuselages don't shrink or expand. The paint itself does. So the problem as they've described it doesn't seem entirely unexpected. The problem it sounds is like it's happening too soon for their liking. And then one of the other concerns is that the mesh underneath the paint, which conducts electricity in the event of a lightning strike because carbon fiber, the carbon fiber panels themselves do not conduct electricity, that can become damaged if the paint is damaged. So that is what the concern is. This has affected multiple airlines beyond Qatar Airways, including Finnair and Cathay, Etihad, Lufthansa, and not Air France's A350s, but Air France performs maintenance on the Air Caribes A350s, and they have also complained about paint damage. This kind of opens up a lot of the, I guess, I don't want to call it complaining because now it, it, it seems very well-founded, but it's very interesting to me that it took this long for this to come out, given all of the a – little, a little bit of complaining that Qatar Airways has done. Yeah, the other airlines at least have been private about it. But it, like you said, it's interesting. They've been complaining about this to Airbus since 2016, I think. So half a decade's worth of complaining about this issue is not insignificant. But they are all very much in agreement, except for Qatar, I guess, that this is not a flight safety issue, that they can keep flying. The aircraft will just look a little less desirable around, I guess, the – what is it? The static wick or, or – what exactly is that part that the paint is cracking around? But it, it's not so much the paint that's worrisome because that's just cosmetic, but what's underneath the paint, that wire mesh for the that kind of acts as a Faraday cage around the carbon fiber fuselage, exposing that will lead to rust, which is never good. So the paint is more than just cosmetic. It's there for protection for what's underneath the paint. And if there's no paint, it can't provide protection. So it could potentially eventually become a flight safety issue. But right now, uh, no one outside of Qatar is really saying that that's a thing right now. Right. It's interesting to me that Qatar, it's not even Qatar Airways, it's the Qatari the civil aviation of Qatar. Notice yeah, I, I never the, said Qatar Airways, I said right, Qatar. Right. So Qatar Airways has been doing the complaining to Airbus. The grounding of the aircraft is actually a regulatory issue, which is, is very interesting to me considering that no one else has, has taken that step. But it is interesting to me that given the now that we know a bit more about the nature of the issue and how the paint is peeling and, and what's being affected if if it is in fact you know just a not just but is the problem enhanced or, or made worse really by the weather and Qatar being located where it is dealing with you know extreme heat on the ground and then extreme cold in the air that seems to be a not great situation 
as far as the paint's concerned. And I guess it'll be even more interesting to see what Airbus comes up with as, as a permanent solution. The Reuters report says that they've stood up a multi- Multifunctional uh, task force. There it is, which sounds you know very impressive. So hopefully this gets solved you know, sooner rather than later. I mean, especially now that it's out in the open. We'll see. Stay tuned. Uh, sticking with Airbus aircraft for a moment, Jason, you had a a delightful name for this particular aircraft. The People Squisher? The People Squisher. The People Squisher Neo. <laughs> so, but is it, well, yeah, okay, I suppose. They have been squishing people since before the new engines. Yes, now they are squishing people even more. Tell me what happened. Cebu Pacific, an airline well known for seeing just how many people they can put on board their aircraft, has leveled up with its first A330 Neo. How many people do you think can fit on this aircraft, Ian? If you had to guess, without looking at the number, because I didn't put it in the show notes. No, you didn't. And and I read it earlier this week, but I promptly forgot it. They didn't do 500, so I'll say 450. Close. 459. 459. Okay. 459 passengers on their A330 900neo. That is a new record for the A330 family. It's interesting. It's actually not even close. The runner up in this regard is Lion Air's A330 300 with 440 passengers. And then right below that, Cebu Pacific again, A330 300, <laughs> 436 passengers. And right below that is Lion Air again on the A330 900 Neo with 436. So I think that's quite interesting that Cebu has managed to put an extra 23 passengers on the same aircraft type when both are known for um, packing them in quite tightly. I mean, it, a lot of these aircraft are used on, if not domestic, then short regional hops. But the Neo, they're planning to use it for longer flights as well, aren't they? Yeah, they'll they'll get around. They'll they'll pop into Dubai, the Middle East, probably India. I don't think they will ever do anything. Hopefully, not like ultra long haul to the U.S. or. <laughs> or, or Europe, but it's certainly possible. Scoot does the very same thing with its 787s flying all the way to Western Europe. That's a lot of people. Yes, it is clearly not a record for the most on any aircraft. That glory goes to, let's see, Emirates with 615 passengers on its two class A380. I don't even think those are flying right now. Azure Air, 531 on its 777-300ER. So there are aircraft out there with far more passengers. But this is a, a new, not so great record from a passenger standpoint from an A330, unless low costs, I guess, if, if the, the fares are actually lower. But we'll, we'll see. But I guess operations will be a lot cheaper if they can actually put that many people on every flight. Yeah. Well, good luck. And and if anybody takes that flight, d drop us a note at podcast at fr24.com. I would love to hear how that goes. Yeah, I will not be going out of my way to fly on that aircraft. Mm, no. We've got Max News in South Korea. Is it good news? It's good news. It's back. Hey. Both 737 MAX aircraft in South Korea can fly again. That's great. I believe yes. they belong to Korean Air who took the, or was planning on taking delivery of them right before the grounding. Are they actually in South Korea now? I believe the two that are there are the Easter. Oh, well, yes. Korean was supposed to start operations, right. but maybe not. 
it'll eventually get there. But no, so South Korea is back in action. We're waiting on, of course, to hear from from Chinese regulators, like we talked about in a couple shows ago. They seem satisfied and have requested their feedback from Max Operating Airlines in China, and uh, we'll hopefully hear from them. I, the The last timeline we heard was hopefully by the end of the year. So who knows if we're still on that timeline? They've got one month. <laughs> They're exact. They've got exactly one month. So today, I had the opportunity to visit Chicago's lovely O'Hare International Airport and see Jason. You'll you'll be happy to hear this and see the working people mover. Hey, welcome back, ATS. Did you take the bus anyway? I didn't have to. Ah, damn. There was no need. But you could have. I could have. And so United did a thing. And I went to the thing because uh, you'll hear in a minute, we had a chance to chat briefly with United CEO Scott Kirby about sustainable aviation fuel and kind of where the airline is headed as far as sustainability initiatives are are generally concerned and, and what he's most concerned with as far as that goes. The whole idea, and we'll get into the numbers, I guess, was that United operated the first fully sustainable aviation fuel flight as much as they possibly could. So they used 100% of the allowable amount, we'll get there, to fly people, we'll get there, to a place. There's a bunch of stars, a bunch of asterisks here on on these marketing claims. So one, United was saying it's 100% sustainable aviation fuel. Well, it's 100% of what they can use. Right now, they're limited to 50% of the total fuel. Which they put 100% of into one engine. Right. So the right engine was run on sustainable aviation fuel. The left engine was run on traditional jet A. So interesting things here is, you know, that and that's been done multiple times other airlines, other manufacturers are doing it and things like that. So United's interested in, you know, how how does the engine run? How do things work? Do they notice a difference? Do the pilots notice a difference? The pilots said they don't notice a difference. So good. Operationally speaking, the goal, I guess, would be that there would be some sort of improvement. And there's a little bit there that could lead to the idea that there are fewer impurities in sustainable aviation fuel, therefore it burns cleaner, and there, you know, you could actually see an improvement there. The goal here is that it's operationally negligible; it works just the same. And so they used fifty percent of the the total fuel was sustainable aviation fuel, hundred percent in one engine. So a little marketing quibble there. First flight with passengers, which was, I guess, their big deal. They were invited guests, people who had contributed to making this possible, as well as invited media. We'll add an asterisk to that one too. But it was an interesting event because we got to hear from Scott Kirby a little bit, and I'll get to what he had to say in just a second. But it was also interesting to hear other people talking about, besides airline folks, but people that are working on the engines, people that are working in the fuel pipeline, people that are working on actually making the fuel, they were there. So it was interesting to hear them talk about how they're seeing things progress and how they're seeing the nature of the industry shift a little bit ever so slowly and much too slowly as far as we're all concerned, but as slow as it goes to sustainable aviation fuel. 
the interesting thing was is that the the focus obviously of today's event was on sustainable aviation fuel, but we would be remiss if we didn't talk about other types of propulsion. So there was a little bit of that. So uh, without, I guess, further ado, I'll let us hear from United CEO Scott Kirby a little bit about what he had to say about what United's looking for in sustainable aviation fuel and what the industry is doing as a whole and what he sees some of the biggest challenges are to getting a wholesale adoption of sustainable aviation fuel. So without further ado, here's a little bit with United CEO Scott Kirby. This is a significant milestone, but I think milestone is the right way to say it. It's a milestone because it's the first 100% SAF flight with passengers on board. But it's a very early milestone in the journey, meaning there's an awful lot that has to be done uh, to take it from you know a one-off flight to something that is on every flight, on every airplane around the world. And really today, to me, the most important thing to take away from it probably is creating energy around growing the industry. The most important thing in the near term is for the blender's fuel tax credit to pass because that creates the certainty for investment that is going to be required to ever make SAF a meaningful part of aviation. And to me, the best, all we need to do is run the same playbook that we ran for wind and solar, which... 20 years ago, if you read anything, said wind and solar can never be cost competitive with traditional coal or natural gas. And today it's cheaper. And the same thing can happen with SAF. It's just we've got to have the same kind of government infrastructure and certainty around investment. We estimate that to get to 10% SAF, we need $250 billion investment. At United Airlines, we're going to invest a lot. But we don't have $250 billion to invest on our own. And the only way to get that is to get all of the ecosystem around aviation and fuel to invest. And government certainty is the most important thing. What does the timeline look like as far as adoption? This is, you know, a milestone off, like from here, call this day zero or, or year zero or whatever. What is the timeline like to get enough to where you start to feel comfortable saying we can drop this into our fleet or a portion of our fleet? Yeah, well, we already know that we, we're already confident that we can drop it in. It's about supply. Right. This is 100% about the supply. And the supply is tiny today. That's why the blender's fuel tax credit is so important because that's the foundation that the industry supply will be built upon. These are all things that we know how to do. This is about commercializing them and creating economies of scale so that you can do it efficiently. This is technology that we know how to do, but we got to commercialize it, drive the economies of scale, much like we did with wind and solar. And you know, our goal is actually to get to 10% by 2030, 10% of industry supply being staffed by 2030. On the one hand, is a huge increase. On the other hand, it doesn't sound like it's far, it's not as far as we want to go. But it's because the industry essentially doesn't exist today. And that's the $250 billion estimated investment that's required to get to that. And once you get to that level, then you're on an exponential growth curve. Then you can grow it really fast. It's just a matter of finding the right feedstocks to grow the industry. You've got to build the industry before you have significant supply. I think that we should be sourcing fuels, not just aviation fuel, all fuels outside of the food chain. That said, there's a lot that happens within the food chain today. And one of the challenges we have with SAF is that you can grow corn or soybeans or palm and turn it into renewable diesel, for example, and you get government credit for that. So we should at least be on an equal playing field with those other sources. Not unique to sustainable aviation fuel, though. I personally think we should be trying to move to feedstocks that don't impact the food chain. 
how do you square the, I mean, you talked about the huge challenge, the biggest challenge is the availability of the SAP. How do you square United's order for boom aircraft with the unavailability of SAP when boom says we're going to run the engine 100% on SAP? But it, if you run the numbers, it, it's going to take all the SAF we've got at the moment. Are you counting well, on that? The, the, this is, that the SAF industry is going to grow. Uh, you know, boom is going to be flying towards the end of the decade or early next decade, and we're going to be growing the SAF industry. So we're doing those two things in parallel. But so you think that there's going to be enough exponential growth by the end of the decade, still what, 10% by 2030, if boom's flying by the end of the decade, those two things are going to collide. Yeah, I think that actually boom helps. You know, having a story, being able to, you know, create excitement around supersonic airplane and flying on SAF is one of the best marketing tools we have for growing the SAF industry. I think boom is going to contribute to a large will help contribute to a larger supply of SAF in the future than if boom wasn't flying without sustainable aviation. What are your thoughts on the other kind of big Alternative fuel of hydrogen. I mean, are you power liquids? You know, power liquids is an interesting idea, but you got to have enough power. It's a great concept, but you need to have renewable power to make it enough renewable power to make it work. And most of that renewable power probably goes into the grid first because it's more straightforward. It's great. I'd love. I hope we get there someday. I think we probably need a you know order of magnitude more renewable energy before power to liquids becomes the best use of that power. So the flight landed uneventfully in DC as we all expected it would. That concludes this particular portion of the sustainable aviation fuel saga. It'll be interesting to see what happens in Washington based on I basically the everyone's flying there to to continue to lobby for the tax credit that Kirby mentioned uh, multiple times. So that'll be interesting to see what happens there. And then we've got some other sustainable aviation fuel testing happening right now. And I think one of the more interesting ones is the test that Airbus is currently doing with its A350 and the German Aerospace Center's Falcon aircraft, where they have that aircraft flying, the German Aerospace Center aircraft flying within 100 meters of the A350 using its sniffer sensor, I guess, for lack of a better word, to catch the particles that are coming out of the engine that is being run on sustainable aviation fuel to see what the exhaust is like there. And it sounds like the initial tests have been pretty positive. Yeah. Airbus, unlike what the United flight today, which was a 100% blend in one engine, so 50% overall, this Airbus testing with an A350 has been a 100% blend. So both engines running 100% on sustainable aviation fuel, and so far, their report is we got nothing. Now, there, there's no issue, no problem, no difference. They'll keep on testing. They'll keep on pushing to get the limit of the current limit of 50% blend increased to 100. But at this point, they're going to just keep on testing to prove that this is really as simple as everyone says, that it is completely 100% drop-in ready, that current aircraft are, are ready to support it to throw cold water on all of that. Next week, we'll be in Stockholm and Jason and I will have our special kind of annual Stockholm show or 
once again, annual Stockholm show. The following week, so not next episode, but the episode after that, we're finally going to talk to the guys at EJet who do fueling. This is their life. We were going to record next week, but it turns out they have to go do a, a field survey on one of the fuel pipelines to make sure that it's you know working and working as it should. So we're going to let them do that and then come back in, in two weeks and talk about a lot of the challenges because we've talked so much about sustainable aviation fuel. We're going to talk about some of the challenges that that we might not have thought about as far as getting the fuel into the aircraft. So what happens before the fuel is in the aircraft? We know it once it's in the aircraft, it's drop in. It's it's one for one exchange with the with the fuel, dropping it in, ready to go. But what happens before that and, and what what else do we need to think about? That's going to be a very interesting conversation and one that I'm looking forward to. And so glad that we finally have a date for that. There's that. Yep. And there's also some some great footage that Airbus has put out of the little Falcon trailing the 350. So there must have actually been three aircraft up there, one to observe the other two. I think it was pretty close, wasn't it? Yeah. They said up to or, or as close as 100 meters, which is, I mean- that's close. That's close. Pretty cool. Good stuff. We also have, to close out the show, we've got snow, ice. More snow. And bears. Mm, but not the same story, interestingly. Not the same story and entirely different places. Highfly completed last week the first A340 landing in Antarctica on a blue ice runway there. And they will be operating one of their A340s to Antarctica on a regular basis this particular summer season, supporting one of the stations in Antarctica. That was an interesting bit and one that I I did not have that one on my radar. I, I didn't know that that's what they were up to. No, and HiFi put together a really, really good detailed blog post and video about their first flight down there, the first of many, I guess, for this season. Good that they used an A340, I guess, because if, if they don't do it now, they may not ever have the chance that aircrafts, there aren't that many of them left operating in the world. But this one they acquired a few years ago from Iberia. So maybe you have been on this aircraft, this A340 that went oh. to Antarctica, 9HSOL is the aircraft. I prefer to call it 9H Soul because 9H SOL yeah, sounds, I mean, I know what it sounds stands not great. for, but they haven't had that particular issue yet. <laughs> no, I, I'm just, I'm just saying, soul, it's sun, you know, it's more fun. Yeah, not anyway. the largest aircraft, I don't think, to go to Antarctica, but definitely one of the most interesting. I think the C5 still holds that record. Yep, and probably always will. And probably always will, that's true. Unless the AN-225 miraculously somehow makes it down to Antarctica at some point. We've got a lot of A380s to spare these days, so. That's true. That's true. Well, we'll get on that one. To close out the show, we've talked about, I think, goats before in Notums. We've talked about birds endlessly, crane obstacles, sure. But a new one this week was, well, maybe not new, but new to me, polar bears. Huh. Where were they? They were up in northern Canada and they were camped out on the runway. So they said no landings. They actually issued a notum saying the runway was- No, they, they didn't, the but they could have. Oh, I, I don't think the bears were there. Well, yeah, I, I don't think there's A, I don't think there was scheduled service there. And B, I don't think that the bears were there long enough in order for the notum to be necessary. However, they could have. I don't know if the bears themselves could have issued the notum, but it's entirely possible. 
Maybe they could if there's some sort of sensor that they trigger and then it automatically sends out a bear alert. Ooh, now we're talking. Mm-hmm. Okay, we should get cracking on that technology. We should. We should. Avtalk podcast and bear notum issuance service. Mm-hmm. I like it. An emerging sector. I like it. Well, on that inventive note, let's call this episode 140. We will see each and every one of you next week from Stockholm and look forward to that fun show. We'll have, I think, some special guests. We'll have to see how everything works out with everyone's travel schedule in order to keep that promise. But until then, thank you so much for listening, everyone. We hope you have a great week. We will talk to you then. This has been episode 140 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz. Thanks for listening. 